night long. All, all night. night. All night. You gotta... <laughs> Come on. O'Brien will not like this. Change of regulations. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another episode of Literary Rage. With us, as always, is Mr. Sean Fabernish. I am Joey Bonnier. And, yeah, that's it. It's just us two. <laughs> really? Well, sorry, what? That's it. Yeah. I'm not going to introduce someone who's not here. Uh, O'Brien is uh, ditching us for... Uh, the show he makes us do. Yeah. <laughs> it seems very strange. It's like, you know, substitutes teacher's not here and we're just going crazy. Actually, I'm usually the substitute. He's just the regular teacher. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Yuri's screaming in the background. We're, uh, this is chaos. Yeah. Dogs and cats living together. God, it's craziness. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we're waiting for some food, so I guess we have to do, by contractual obligation, a literally literary. There uh, is a ritual obligation. Hello, snowflakes. Wait, what? <laughs> it's not that I, show? I just had to acknowledge them. I mean, it's like their show, you know, the politinker oh, might be right. popping in and the That's pinks true. might be here. But, yeah, they're, know, gonna, they're is, not going to like this episode. This, no, Let's no, make this, that clear. This is a snowflake show, and I was trying to uh, to appease the uh, said uh, <laughs> crystalline masses out there. But to be fair, we will actually read stuff, so maybe they'll like that part. Yeah, I do have some books here. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> have to destroy the table. I understand you it's, want to slam the books it's, down. It's my table. I'll do what I want. Oh my god. I think O'Brien usually points the mic at the table though when he does that. That that didn't have the gravitas I was looking for. Yeah. Let he, me let me try that. You want to do it again with good foley? Yeah, yeah. Let's get some better. Uh, had a little bit more uh, I feel like footage to it. That's something. Yeah, yeah. So, I have some books, Mr. O'Brien or Mr. O'Brien, Mr. Bonnier. Yeah. Yeah. I see them. So, uh, let's see. In uh, no particular order, I have uh, Benjamin Franklin, The Autobiography and Other Writings. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Interesting. We have Mark Twain Short Stories. We have The Darwin Awards, copyright 2006. <laughs> Why did you include that one? Why Just because it's a modern one? Um, oh, yeah. The, <laughs> we never really talk about the copyrights for other books. Uh, oh, no, because the Darwin Awards is like a Guinness Book of World Records sort of thing. Oh, okay. It comes it's out like, every year. Yeah, it's like I did an not know that. Okay. thing. Yeah, so, you know, the the context of, you know, when it came out is certainly relevant. Ah. Or at least people know which edition I'm talking about. <laughs> ah. You should say circa. I feel like that's circa. a better word there. Okay. Circa 2006. Yeah. Right on. Uh, we also have a copy of George Orwell's Animal Farm. Okay. We have the big book of uh, Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide, The Six Stories By. Your personal favorite. Uh, one of, yeah, certainly. Uh, and then another of my favorites, uh, In 50 Years Will I'll Be Chicks by Adam Carolla. So, okay. uh, sir, I will uh, leave this at your discretion. What is it that uh, that you feel like embarking upon today? 
Well, I'll tell you what, and I want to go against trend because it's just mm-hmm. me and you, so who gives a shit because O'Brien's not here to yell yeah, at Yeah, we us. can do whatever we want. So I want to do a lot of them. Like, oh. I want to do like a little- a like, survey class? A potpourri, if you a, will. Uh, a, a, what, what is it? A smorgasbord. Yeah. A, a sprinkling of Sean's brain. Yeah. Uh, the, so the books. Uh, I want to do I a little of everything. The, the is com- it okay? Yeah. The common theme here is essentially books that I have read almost completely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's start with- uh, I want to start with a little of the Darman Awards because I was instantly drawn, drawn to that. I think it's gotcha. funny and I think they're short and I'd want to read a few immediately. All right. We have the Darwin Awards circa 2006. Uh, it is, Can you explain what the Darwin Awards is? Uh, yes. It is retailing for 1995 <laughs> US or $25 Canadian. Okay. That uh, pretty much sums it up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, basically, the Darwin Awards are just like the stupidest ways people have died w- over the last year. Okay. Um, so, you know, very noteworthy either deaths or serious injuries, I believe. Um, oh no, Darwin. They, they I do think die. they die. Yeah, I think they have to die. Yeah. Or at least, uh, I, I think non-reproductive counts. So if like a chimpanzee tears your balls off. You're... I mean, Darwin would probably agree with that. Yeah. So uh, let's just uh, tell me when to stop. And woof. Woof. Okay. Uh, this looks like a long one. I'm going to have to backtrack to maybe the beginning of a story I'll give here. you the right to skim if you want to skim and find a single one that you like the best. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to look for something skimming. short with He's pictures. Um, okay, here's one with pictures. Okay, oh, wait, He's picked a one with pictures. Why do I have a marker? I don't know. I have, I have a Let's read that one, though. Okay. We got to read that one. The one with the post Yep. Note? Okay. You clearly put a... Uh, for a reason. Uh, so, <clears throat> Darwin Award, Military Intelligence... Unconfirmed by Darwin. So I guess this is just a legend. Uh, 1970s, Northern Ireland. Back in the late 70s, intelligence units in Northern Ireland were issued exploding briefcases to carry sensitive documents. These briefcases were lined with oxygen bricks. To arm the case, one simply removed a small pin next to the handle of the case. Thus armed, an open case would instantly combust destroying everything within a meter of it. Because there was half a second delay before the bricks ignited, the lids were designed to stop on a spring catch so that no document could be rescued or photocopied before it was destroyed. To open the case safely, therefore, the sequence was make sure the arming pin is in place, open the case, use a thin object such as a ruler to push back the spring catch, Number four, the case will now be open. Uh, Let's see here. But in this particular case, the sequence went as follows. Make sure the arming pin is in place. Open the case. Look for a small, thin object to push back the catch. Find none immediately available. Notice that the arming pin is a small, thin object. Use the arming pin to push back the catch. Kiss one intelligence unit goodbye. So, so they just put said, none in there? What's that? They just put the word none is what they said? No, no. They, they like the, the idea is that there there's the pin that you got to push in. Yeah, yeah. And then you crack the case and there's a little spring. All right. So like they, they were trained to basically just like grab a ruler or whatever was nearby, push back the spring, and then you can open the case. Well, they couldn't find anything nearby, but they noticed that the pin was a, you know, small object. So as soon as they pulled out the pin, then it exploded. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Uh, I'm kind of stupid for not understanding it, but okay, sure. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. I don't think I'd make that mistake. I don't know why I put a post-it note there. That didn't seem... All right, uh, let's move on to the next book, Smorgasbord. We're moving fast. Oh, Rotate. Damn. Wow. Yep, All that's right. how it works. Yep. 
Warning Otherwise, time. we're not getting to everything. Okay. So, Art of War. Here we go. Art of War. Sun Tzu. Fuck. Are you just like giving me a reading test here? Is this? Like, I'll read if you want. Is this the idea? I'll do the no, next I one. I get it, man. That's cool. Well, um, I want to be able to do this because like, we never get a chance to just kind of go like, you know, book, 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 like run and gun style. I think okay. it'd be fun. Uh, should we talk more about them? Like, I, I Sure. What did you think about that, dude? <laughs> yeah, that was a list. <laughs> That's probably why I think I that dude's an idiot, and uh, he yeah. had bad military intelligence. Uh, what about the the writing itself, though? The the um, the compilation of said stories is this something that you would be? Uh, obviously, it's like bathroom reading, but is that something that uh, would appeal to you? Yeah, maybe some of them are good, some of them are bad. So I think. So you've read these before. I think you're right. Bathroom reading are decent. It's because it's like you can skim and pick a funny one, and mm. you know eh, if it's bad, you know you still got to take a shit. So, you know, still yeah. win-win. Any day you can shit is still a good day. I, how can you disagree with that? Yeah. Go ahead, Art of War. All right, so I'm going to read out the contents, and then uh, you can uh, narrow me down a bit. Uh, we got laying plans. Chapter two: Waging war. Three: Attack by stratagem. Four, tactical dispositions. Five, energy. Six, weak points and strong. Seven, maneuvering. Eight, variation in tactics. Nine, the army on the march. Ten, terrain. Eleven, the nine situations. Twelve, attack by fire. And thirteen, the use of spies. Mm, I can tell what you should pick. Which one? Number 13. Go right to the it. The use of spies. We got to. How appropriate in today's day and age. So that would be on page number 38. This is a very thin book. Well, uh, it's an art. It's not a science. <laughs> well, yeah. The shit works. Just trust him. <laughs> he doesn't need to prove shit. Uh, it worked right. for me. It's going to work for you. I'm sure that's how Sun Tzu sounds. Everyone knows that, right? He was an old Jewish man. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Sun Tzu was Mel Brooks. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So, Man, the sports have yeah. a good tactics. I see why O'Brien's always moving his fucking mic around. This yeah, kind of, it's, kind of look weird, at you, squeaky thing. McSqueaks over there. Yeah. Well, I oiled, I oiled O'Brien's mic, but now he's that's not here, funny. So. <laughs> that's great. I didn't oil mine. Um, all right, so chapter thirteen: the use of spies. Raising a host of a hundred thousand men and marching them great distances entails heavy loss on the people and a drain on the resources of the state. The daily expenditure will the daily expenditure will amount to thousand once oh a thousand ounces of silver. Uh, there will be commotion at home and abroad, and men will drop down exhausted on the highway. As men as many as seven hundred thousand families will be in, impeded in their labor. Hostile armies may face each other for years, striving for the victory which is decided in a single day. This being so, to remain in ignorance of the enemy's condition simply because one grudges the outlay of a hundred ounces of silver in honors of and emoluments? What the fuck? Wow, the emoluments? That's crazy. That's like the most crazy word that everyone's going to be talking about now because it's the emoluments clause that might that Trump might, you know, uh, get conflict of interest from. What the fuck's an emolument? You know what? I need to Google exactly what it means. <laughs> but I know what the I think the emolument means in in the sense of the president. And it's a conflict of interest. It's basically, or you know what? It's like a gift. Huh. It's like a, it's like he's getting like a any a gift from a foreign country. Like you're not supposed to get that. Let me check it up though. Emolument. Weird. 
I've never heard or seen that's that so word weird because neither have I, and, and, and except in this one clause, at a salary fee or profit from employment or office. Huh. Weird. Interesting. Uh, yeah, is the height of humanity. Okay. Hey, hold on. Can we stop and talk about that for a second? Yeah. What's really struck out to me was the um, making your enemies fight against them, like, mm. and then like then not even like un, like realizing it for years, like that. That's such. Um, it's just so applicable the way that people that that's the way that especially recently with with kind of the Russia hacking was you know set up to to set up Americans versus Americans and uh, and it happened and it worked and uh, they got what they want. And I just think it's it was a smart tactic because not only did they do it but they did it without losing a single person technically I guess unless I don't there's someone who died that I didn't know about but uh, yeah, divide and conquer it it's uh it's a very Sun Tzu esque way to go. Wasn't divide and conquer fucking uh, Alexander? Uh, you, uh, maybe. I'll check it out. The, the I, I would one. guess it maybe even like mm -hmm. Julius Caesar, but I'll check it. I have no idea what the time frame is there. I want to move on though. We got to go Sorry, fast. Sir. Oh, so our I, new book? I love Sun Tzu, but that, oh. that was great. We got a little piece. Damn. All right. You know, we got to move. You got your, I, I want to go to Animal Farm. You got your piece of knowledge. All right. Animal Farm. Um, any preference? Start at the beginning or uh, we have an introduction and then I believe we have a chapter one. And yeah, what are you thinking? Where do you want to be? Should I pick a random or do you want to start at the beginning? Start at the beginning, actually. Is the beginning in the introduction or is that chapter one? I think we all understand what Animal Farm is. Okay. Uh, I don't think we need an introduction. Let's just go dive. Mr. Jones, <laughs> Alex, Mr. Jones of the Manor Farm. <laughs> that was an aside. <laughs> yeah, Alex isn't uh, actually the Animal Farm guy. Or uh, is he? Well, maybe. Uh, Mr. Jones it's of the Manor Farm had locked the hen house for the night, but was too drunk to remember to shut the poop holes. Really? <laughs> is it pop holes? Well, how many O's? One. Then, yeah. P-O-P -P holes? Pop. Yeah. Okay. Fucking fuck you, man. Uh, it's clearly a soda from a Midwestern place. What? <laughs> pop. I'm yeah, just like this I, stupid joke. I understand, joke. but like I, I've still never heard the term pop holes be used as like, anyways. Uh, with the ring of light from his lantern dancing from side to side, he lurches across the yard. Kicking off his boots at the back door, drew himself a last glass of beer from the barrel in the scullery. Scullery is that a thing? Yeah, I guess it's. Right, that sounds like a basement beer. or something. You know yeah. where you keep beer cold. Sure. Uh, yeah, O'Brien, fact check. <laughs> fact check false. It's all British terms. <laughs> totally. Uh, and made his way up to bed where Mrs. Jones was already snoring. That bitch. As soon as the light in the bedroom went out, there was a stirring and a fluttering all through the farm buildings. Word had gone round during the day that old mayor. Old, old Major? Major. Major, sorry. He's the horse. Yeah, damn. I remember. Old Major, the prize middle white boar. Huh. Oh, wow, I'm wrong. You suck. <laughs> uh, had a strange dream oh, okay. on the previous night. At least I knew who he and was. And wished to communicate it to oh, the other boy. animals. It had been agreed that they should all meet in the big barn as soon as Mr. Jones was safely out of the way. Old, Ma old Major was... The he was the, oh, I'm sorry, he was always called, though the name under which he hid behind exhibited was Willington Beauty. Willington Beauty? Willington Beauty. Uh, 
was so highly regarded on the farm that everyone was quite ready to lose an hour's sleep in order to hear what he had to say. At the end of the big barn, in a sort of raised platform, Major was already esconded, esconded? on his bed of straw under a lantern which hung from a beam. He was twelve years old and had lately grown, grown rather stout, but he was still a, a majestic-looking pig, with a wise and benevolent appearance, in spite of the fact that he, that his tushes had never been cut. His tushes? T-U-S-H-E-S? Hmm. Okay, I don't um, look that up. By the way, scullery is a tiny little room in the back of a kitchen where you might keep oh, shit like that. Fucking like a little pantry. Tushes? Tushes. T-U-S-H? T-U-S-H-E-S, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, tushes, a long pointed tooth. A canine or male of a male horse. Cray cray. Before long, the other animals began to arrive and make themselves comfortable after their different fashions. First came the three dogs, Bluebell, Jesse, and Pincher, and then the pigs who settled down in the straw immediately in front of the platform. The hens perched themselves on the windowsill, the pigeons fluttered up to the rafters, the sheep and cows lay down behind the pigs and began to chew the cud. The two cart horses, Boxer and Clover, came in together, walking very slowly and setting down their vast hairy hooves with a great care, lest they should be least there should be some small animal concealed in the straw. Clover was a stout motherly mare approaching middle life who had never quite got her figure back after three full. Boxer was an enormous beast, yeah, nearly 18 hands was. high. What's a, oh, a hand is like yeah. literally like eight inches or something, something like that. Up, yeah. yeah, right on. Uh, so I'm, I'm holding my hand up as though the listeners fucking can see my hand representing a hand. You're not that stupid. I understand. I'm sorry. <laughs> <sighs> Where was I? I don't know. Nearly 18 hands high. And as strong as any two ordinary horses put together. Yeah, boxer. A white stripe down his nose gave him a somewhat stupid appearance. And in fact, he was not of first-rate intelligence. Okay, boxer. But he was universally respected for his steadiness of character Hmm. and his tremendous powers of work. After that horse came Muriel, a white goat, and Benjamin the donkey. Benjamin was the oldest animal on the farm and the worst-tempered. He seldom talked, and when he did, it was usually to make some cynical remark. For instance, he would say that God had given him a tail to keep the flies off, but that he would sooner have had no tail and no flies. Alone among the other animals in the farm, he never laughed. If asked why, he would say that he saw nothing to laugh at. Nevertheless, without openly admitting it, he was devoted to Boxer. The two of them usually spent their Sundays together in the small paddock beyond the orchard, gazing side by side and never speaking. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Ron Swanson talking about the, the his best friend that he sometimes still never talks to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to move on. All right. uh, rotation. But uh, what do you think? Do you like it so far? Oh, I love Animal Farm. Um, I, I, well, I'm, you know, obviously these, these books are, uh, the collection of 
books that I have read before. Um, Animal Farm in, in and of itself is a a great representation of the the cycle of Marxism, that, that idea of uh, a free society very, very easily devolving into tyrannical government. Uh, I think Animal Farm is uh, something that all of our listeners should read uh, within the next 14 days or 12 days or however many days before Trumpage. Or anytime. Yeah, yeah, it's still a good thing. Yeah, honestly, I want to reread it now because it's so short and looks sounds amazing. Um, I love it's, it it's too. It's me that sounds amazing. Oh, the, you, well, it's your microphone. <laughs> and it's the, true. And the high LPR forty does a lot of work. For and me. the and the preamps and not bad. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, I love the allegorical aspect of it. Obviously, yeah. um, when I first read it, I I thought two was, legs bad, four legs good. I didn't quite get all the allegories, obviously. Oh, yeah. But um, looking back, how old were you when you first read it? I'm going to guess 12. Oh, really? I think 6th or 7th grade. Yeah. I was in like college when I read it. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I wish I kind of, you know, read it now. And that was really only read one time. Yeah. Um, I loved it, though. And I really do, I think you're right. It's it's an amazing way to simply tell history and in a very clever way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, on, on multiple levels, it's good. Like, it really does work. It's just honestly an objective story, even without any of the allegorical principles or whatever, or symbols rather. So I don't know. I really just like it for that. I think it's a great way to simply tell history to kids. There should be more of these for every kind of history. Not every history. Let's not overdo it. But, <laughs> you know, there should be more of these kind of stories. Like, there, I mean, it's funny. We were talking about Starship Troopers earlier. Yeah. Great. There's not enough great allegorical stuff. Maybe it's because it's super difficult to do. I agree, but I just wish there was more of them now. Well, I mean, the the argument is that essentially that is what good sci-fi is. You know, a lot of the best sci-fi is, you know, allegorical speaking about things that you aren't necessarily publicly allowed to speak That's at true. the time. That's true. I guess I'm just kind of being a snob and saying I haven't had a lot of good stuff recently. Well, I think the problem is that you don't get that without the lens of history. So, you know, we might look back on this 10 years and realize that, you know, uh, what was it? The arrival is like completely summing up our, our, our world right now. But uh, in the context right now, yeah. we might not see it as well. I mean, I'll, this doesn't quite match, but it's kind of funny. Idiocracy is kind of like oh, that. God, yeah. I mean, everyone's been going crazy. I mean, Idiocracy that. was fucking apparent from day one. <laughs> that, that was a genius work. Um, but well, yeah. that's not true. Not from day one, right? Didn't it like kind of tank first? It like took like a VOD and like a DVD kind of release? Well, it, it was one of those things that was buried by the studio. Okay. Um, so it had like a bad release date and they didn't uh, they didn't really market it at all. And apparently they changed the editing and Mike Judge wasn't a huge fan of how it ended up turning out as well. Gotcha. But um, it, it's one of those movies that like very few people saw, but everyone that saw it recognized exactly what it was. Sure. Um, you know, it's like office space. It's, it's uh, you know, extremely prevalent for its time and place and was more so prophetic than any of his other works, I think. It's funny. Those were some of the first movies, you're right, that really benefited from like whatever, like blockbuster or just like simple rentals or whatever mm. it was or Netflix in the early days. Like those kind of movies really, it's awesome because those sa- those movies we would never see if this was 10 years ago or you know what I mean or 15 years ago uh, or at least not every, not to the extent like you have to know someone who had that VHS or you know what I mean did, did you not have VHS as a kid I, you would have to know someone who specifically had like I don't know a unique movie like that though 
Really? Like, I feel like Blockbuster was ubiquitous by the time I was like old enough to understand that. I guess you're right. But I, I don't know. I mean, I mean there, DVDs, there's not every movie that was in Blockbuster or, or even if it was, I guess I'm t- maybe I'm thinking pre-Blockbuster then. Well, which I, is I like think DVDs really, really changed the game though a lot because DVDs, when they first started coming out, they were, a lot of them or the vast majority of them were uh, basically, as soon as they were released, they were released at a consumer price point. So DVDs would come out and they'd be like twenty dollars whereas sense. before that when vhs was kind of king a lot of the vhs tapes when they first came out they were about a hundred dollars so that only the rental houses would buy them mm-hmm. so there was this kind of big shift from focusing on rental to trying to get people to pay you know you'd pay four dollars for a rental or this movie's on sale for twelve dollars and you can just have it so you know there was this shift from rental to yeah, actual that ownership. makes sense um I kind of was, what's weird is I really should know about this because I literally was working at a movie store (laughs) during this time period. Yeah, so they were obsessed with like, oh, sell the DVDs, sell the DVDs. We make more money than renting some shitty VHS to some random old person who walks in. Totally. Which is, yeah, they were, clearly that was like my time. I guess this was when I was 16, 17. So what is that, 2002-ish, something like that. Yeah, and that's why that whole switch was a windfall for, uh, you know, all the rental houses or rental Places, I should say. When I say rental house, I feel like I'm talking about like equipment. Like, yeah, I know. Getting lights yeah. and like gear and shit. That's some inside uh, but, Hollywood knowledge. Yeah, there. yeah, totally. That's true. Um, let's read some. Oh, books. Yeah. What else? How do about want? some uh, Douglas? Uh, Douglas. Dougie what? Adams. Dougie Adams. Dougie Adams. Is it the first one? Uh, oh, it's all. Of no, them. this is six of them. Okay. I believe there's actually a seventh, but it is not included in this uh, compendium that I have here. Um, is there any place you'd like to? venture in honestly i've never read it so oh, okay. the, the only thing i know is the movie then. Uh, I, I just seen the movie like three times so i kind of know the movie pretty well but that's the, all uh, the movie is okay-ish if you don't know anything else okay. but i highly highly suggest the bbc miniseries from the early 80s um it is essentially the first book broken up into about six half hour episodes and it's it's fantastic it's like you know cheesy horrible early 80s like doctor who production value mm-hmm. but it's it's it's, it's a fun, uh, much more fun romp through this universe than the movie. The idea of you romping anywhere and calling it fun is so appealing to me right now. I just imagine <laughs> you skipping in a in lovely a meadow right yeah. now, and it is wonderful. I, I, as long as it's a frilly tutu. Yeah, I, it's it's almost like when Homer Simpson does it. It's very dainty. Mm. Twinkle toes. I'm going to skip I guess the, that's uh, Fred Flintstone. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to skip the introduction here. Okay. Yeah, I like just, the dolphin shit. Can we hear some of that? Uh, so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah. Um, I think, do- yeah, dolphin shit definitely makes an appearance in the first book. I don't know if we'll get to it, though. Uh, let's see here. Far out in the unencumbered backwater of this unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this sun, at a distance of roughly 98 million miles, is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descendant life forms are so um, amazingly primitive that they still think that digital watches are a pretty neat idea. (laughs) This planet has, or rather had, a problem, which is this. Most of the people living on it were unhappy for for pretty much of the time. 
Many solutions were suggested for this problem, most of which were largely concerned with the movement of small green pieces of paper, which is odd because on the whole, it wasn't the small green pieces of paper that were unhappy. And so the problem remained. Lots of people were mean, and most of them were miserable, and even the ones with digital watches. Many were increasingly of the, the opinion that they'd all made a big mistake in coming down from the trees in the first place, and some said that even the trees had been in bad move, and that there should have never been any, or, I'm sorry, and that no one should have ever left the oceans. And then, one Thursday, Nearly 2,000 years after one man had been nailed to a tree for saying, saying how, how great it would be if we... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. And then one Thursday, nearly 2,000 years after a man had been nailed to a tree for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change, a girl sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rickmansworth suddenly realized what, what it was that had been going wrong all this time. And then she knew how the world could be made a good and happy place. This time, it was right. It would work. And no one would have to get nailed to anything. Sadly, however, before she could get to the phone and tell anyone about it, a terrible, stupid catastrophe occurred. The idea was lost forever. This is not her story. But it is the story of that terrible, stupid catastrophe and some of its consequences. It is also the story of a book a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Not an Earth book, never published on Earth. Hmm. And until the terrible catastrophe occurred, never seen or even heard of by any Earth man. Nevertheless, a wholly remarkable book. In fact, it was probably the most remarkable book ever to come out of the great publishing corporation of Ursa Minor, of which the Earth man had never heard either. Not only... Is it a wholly remarkable book? It is also big, bigably successful. Hmm. Bigly, bigly, b i g b l y, b i g b l y. It is also a m o u s e bigly successful one. Hmm. More popular. I don't than, know what that is. More popular than the Celestial Home Care Omnibus. Better selling than fifty-three more things to do in zero gravity. And more controversial than Ulan Klupod's trilogy of philosophy, philosophical blockbusters. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah, man. I really love this. This is <laughs> fucking great. What a great book. I got to read this. It's just such a, uh, I don't know why. It just instantly, as soon as you hear it, you have this like refreshing feeling, even though it's very like objective and, you know, obviously not from an earth standpoint. I just love that aspect of it. It's just so quaint and so matter of fact about everything. And it's just, you can't help but like it. It's just got this, like, I don't know about it. It's like, a, it's, it's like an it's innocence. It's a charming, charming, innocent comedy, comedic quality to it. Yeah. That is uh, very, uh, like, summing up of humanity while bashing it at it's, the same time. Yeah, but it's just, it's like it doesn't take any petty points. It just takes this, like, big, objective, uh, funny approach to the world so it's like it's an anthropological view of like where we are you know it's from that you know, that god's eye view it yeah is, i agree yeah uh, it's kind of like uh what was that movie with the the natives uh trading bottle caps uh, I remember. uh, uh yeah whatever. last lost the mohicans uh, yeah <laughs> uh so i'll skip on to chapter one the house stood on a slight rise just over just on the edge of the village 
It stood on its own and looked over a broad spread of white West Country country fire, farmland. Jesus fuck. Not a remarkable house by any means. It was about 30 years old, squattish, squarish, and made of brick, and had four windows set in the front of this front of the size and proportion of which more or less exactly filled the failed to please the eye. The only person for whom this house was in any way special was Arthur Dent. And that is that was only because it happened to be the one in which he lived. He had lived there lived he had lived in it for about three years, ever since he had moved out of his London out of London because it made him nervous and irritable. He was about thirty as well, tall, dark haired, never quite at ease with himself. The thing that used to worry him most was the fact that people always used to ask him what he was looking so worried about. He worked in local radio, which he always used to tell his friends was a lot more interesting than they probably thought. It was. (laughs) Most of his friends worked in advertising. On Wednesday night, it had rained very heavily. The lane was wet and muddy, But Thursday morning's sun was bright and clear and shone on Arthur Dent's house for what was to be the last time. It hadn't properly registered yet with Arthur that the council wanted to knock it down and build a bypass instead. At 8 o'clock on Thursday morning, Arthur didn't feel very good. He woke woke up blearily, got up, wandered blearily round the room, opened a window, saw a bulldozer, found his slippers, stomped off to the bathroom to wash. Toothpaste on the brush, so, scrub. Shaving mirror, pointing at the ceiling. He adjusted it. For a moment, it reflected on a second bulldozer through the bathroom window. Properly adjusted, it reflected on Arthur Dent's bristles. He shaved them off, washed, dried, stomped off to the kitchen to find something pleasant to put into his mouth. Kettle, plug, fridge, milk, coffee, yawn. The word bulldozer wandered through his mind for a moment in search of something to connect with. The bulldozer outside the kitchen window was a quite a big one. He stared at it. <laughs> Yellow, he thought. And he stomped off back to his bedroom to get dressed. Passing the bathroom, he stopped to drink a large glass of water and another. He began to suspect that he was hungover. Why was he hungover? He had, had he been drinking the night before? He supposed that he must have been. He caught a glint of the shaving mirror, yellow, he thought, and stomped off to the bedroom. He stood and thought, the pub, he thought, oh dear, the pub. He vaguely remembered being angry, angry about something that seemed important. He'd been telling people about it, telling people about it at great length, and rather suspected His clearest visual recollection was of glazed looks on other people's faces. Something about a new bypass he just found out about. It had been in the pipeline for months, only no one had seemed to have known about it. Ridiculous. He took a swig of water. It would sort itself out, he decided. No one wanted a bypass. The council didn't have a leg to stand on. It would sort itself out. God, what a terrible hangover. It had earned him through. <sighs> All right, oh, let's stop. Let's stop. No, sorry. What do you think so far? Um, it's about to get good. Okay, sorry, shouldn't stop you. Uh, I don't know. Do you have thoughts? 
I like it. I think it's, it's less curi- quaint than the intro. Certainly. I'm, I'm kind of curious how you think because it's getting very describey. Even mm-hmm. though it's doing it in such a very uh, brief and like you know cutesy way, I, it, it's kind of getting a little on the prusty. I'm wondering how you feel. Uh, there's still levity there, so it's still lower on the doucheometer than okay. uh, than any proofs. I think you're right. As a way of, he's kind of like got to do the description and the character yeah. building. Like everyone has to do it, but he does it in a very quick witted and like even like brief. Like he'll like take like you know duh 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 soap and toothbrush yeah. and duh. it's it's kind of it's a nice way of doing it. And it's also very um it's very cinematic. It's almost like yeah. here's a shot, here's a shot, here's a quick shot like that. So it keeps like the momentum moving. Uh, are you familiar with the history of the the Hitchhiker's Guide? Essentially, so it started as a radio play. Oh, so okay. it, it is essentially a script, a cinematic thing that, makes that became something larger. <sighs> um, let's see. Talk about that bypass. Yeah, got to build bypasses. Uh, telling people about it at great length. Something about a new bypass. No one wanted a bypass. The console didn't even... God, what a terrible hangover. It had earned him through. He looked at himself in the wardrobe mirror. He stuck out his tongue. Yellow, he thought. The word yellow wandered through his mind in search of something to connect with. Fifteen seconds later, he found he. I'm sorry. Fifteen seconds later, he was out of the house, laying in front of the yellow bulldozer with, with that was advancing up his garden path. Miss L. Prozo was, as they say, only human. In other words, he was a carbon-based life form. What carbon-based bipedal life form descended from apes? Apes. More specifically, he was 40, fat, and shabby, and worked at the local console. Curiously enough, he didn't know it. He was about to direct male line descendant of... Oh, curiously, though he didn't know it, he was also a direct male line descendant of Genghis Khan. Hmm. Though intervening generations and racial mixing had so juggled his genes that he had no discernible mongoloid characteristics, and the only vestiges left of Mr. El Prosos of his mighty ancestry were the pronounced stoutness about the tum and the predilection for little furry hats. By the way, they, I think they say like there's a crazy amount of percentage of people who actually are descendants of Genghis Khan. Oh fuck yeah! Like, I think it's like a like crazy number. Like we would be surprised about. It's I, I think it's like almost all of China. Uh, it is like all of Mongolia, and it is for you know spreading out through right. all, almost all of Asia and a lot of Europe is you know decreasingly high percentages. But yeah, yeah well, well done, Genghis. Yeah, Genghis. Genghis? Genghis Khan. I would say he's up there with like Wilt Chamberlain on like m- amount of women slept with. <laughs> oh, if, if they're really taking a sexist uh, tally here. <laughs> ah, well, he was by no means a great warrior. In fact, he was a nervous, worried man. Today, he was pra- particularly nervous and worried because something had gone seriously wrong with his job, which was to see that Arthur Dent's house got cleared out of the way before the day was out. Come off it, Mr. Dent, he said. You can't win. You know you can't lie in front of a bulldozer indefinitely. He tried to make his eyes blaze fiercely, but they just wouldn't do it. (laughs) Arthur lay in the mud and squelched at him. I'm game, he said. We'll see who rusts first. I'm afraid you're going to have to accept it, said Mr. Prosper, gripping his fur hat and rolling it around the top of his head. This bypass has got to be built. It's going to be built. First I've heard of it, said Arthur. Why, it's, why has it got to be built? Mr. Prosser, Mr. Prosser 
shook his fingers at, at him for a bit, then stopped, put it away again. What do you mean, why's it got to be built, he said. It's a bypass. You've got to build bypasses. Bypasses are devices that allow some people to dash from point A to point B very fast, while other people dash from point B to point A very fast. People living in point C, being a point directly in between, are often given to wonder what's so great about point A that so many people from point B are so keen to get there, and what's so great about point B that so many people from point A are so keen to get there. They often wish that the people would just once and for all work out where the hell they wanted to be. Mr. Prosser wanted to be at point D. Point D wasn't anywhere in particular. It was just any convenient point a very long way away from points A, B, and C. He would have nice little cottage at point D, with access over the door, and spend pleasant amounts of time at point E, which would be the nearest pub to point D. His wife, of course, wanted to climb, wanted to, wanted climbing roses, but he wanted access. He didn't know why. He just liked axes. He flushed hotly under the diversive grins of the bulldozer driver. He shifted his weight from foot to foot, but it was equally uncomfortable on each. Obviously, someone has been appallingly incompetent, he he hoped, and, and he hoped to God it wasn't him. Mr. Prosser said, You're quite entitled to make any suggestion or protest at the appropriate time, you know. Appropriate time, hooted Arthur. Appropriate time? The first I knew about it was when this workman arrived at my house yesterday. I asked him if he'd gone, if he'd come to clean the windows, and he said no. He'd come to demolish the house. He didn't tell me straight away, of course, so no. First he wiped a couple of windows and charged me a fiver. Then he told me. But Mr. Dent, the plans have been available in the local planning office for the last nine months. Oh, yes. Well, as soon as I heard, I went straight round, the, straight round to see them. Yes, straight round to see them yesterday afternoon. You hadn't exactly gone out of your way to call attention to them, had you? I mean, like actually telling anybody or anything. But the plans were on display. On display? I eventually had to go down to the cellar to find them. That's the display department. With a flashlight! Ah, well, the lights had probably gone. Hmm. So had the stairs! But look, you found the notice, didn't you? Yes, said Arthur. Yes, I did. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. (laughs) A cloud passed overhead. It cast a shadow over Arthur Dent as he lay propped up on his elbow in the cold mud. It cast a shadow over Arthur Dent's house. Mr. Processor frowned at it. It's not as if it's a particularly nice house, he said. I'm sorry, but I happen to like it. You'll like the bypass. Oh, shut up, said Arthur. Shut up and go away and take your bloody bypass with you. I haven't got a leg to, you haven't got a leg to stand on, and you know it. Mr. Prosser's mouth opened and closed a couple of times while, he mimed, while his mind was for a moment filled with filled with inexplicable but terribly attractive visions of Arthur Arthur Dent's house being consumed with fire and Arthur himself running screaming from the blazing ruin with at least three hefty spears protruding from his back. Mr. Prosser was often bothered with these visions, with visions like these, and they made him feel very nervous. He stuttered for a moment and then pulled himself together. Mr. Dent, he said. Hello, yes, said Arthur. 
some factual information for you. Have you any idea how much damage that bulldozer would suffer if I just let it roll straight over you? How much, asked Arthur. None at all, Mr. Prosser said Mr. Prosser, and stormed nervously off, wondering if his brain was filled with a thousand hairy horsemen all shouting at him. By a curious coincidence, none at all is exactly how much suspicion the ape descendant Arthur Dent had that one of his closest friends was not descendant from an ape, but was in fact a but was in fact from a small planet where in the vicinity of Beetlejuice, and not from Guilford as he usually claimed. Arthur Dent had never ever suspected this. His friend of his. Uh, this friend of his had first arrived on planet Earth some 15 Earth years previously and had worked hard to blend himself into Earth society with, it must be said, some success. For instance, <laughs> he, had spent he had spent those 15 years pretending to be an out-of-work actor, which was plausible enough. He had made one careless blunder, though. Because he had skimped a bit on his proper preparatory research he was he, um sorry the information he had gathered had led him to choose the name ford prefect as being nicely inconspicuous it was not it was not conspicuously oh he was not conspicuously tall his features were striking but not conspicuously handsome his hair was wiry and gingerish and brushed backward from his temple his skin seemed to be pulled backwards from the nose. There was something very slight, slightly odd about him, but it was often in, but it was difficult to say what it was. Perhaps it was that his eyes didn't seem to blink often enough, and when you talked to him for any length of time, your eyes began to invulnerable, involuntarily to water on his behalf. Perhaps it was that he smiled slightly too broadly and gave people the unnerving impression that he was about to go for their neck. He struck most of his, most of the friends he had um, he struck he struck most of the friends he had made on earth as oh as an eccentric but a harmless one an unruly boozer with some oddish habits. For instance, he would often gatecrash university parties, get badly drunk, and start making fun of of any astrophysicist he could find till he got thrown out. Sometimes he would, get se he would get seized with oddly distracted moods and stare off into the sky as if hypnotized until someone asked him what he was doing. He would then start, he would then start guiltily for a moment, relax, and grin. Oh, I'm just looking for flying saucers. Flying saucers, he would joke. And everyone would laugh and ask him what sort of flying saucers he was looking for. Green ones, he would reply, with a wicked, wicked grin, laugh wildly for a moment, and then suddenly lunge for the nearest bar and buy an enormous round of drinks. Everything like this usually ended badly. Ford would get out of his skull on whiskey huddled in a corner with some girl and explained to her in slurred phrases that, honestly, the color of the flying saucer didn't matter that much, really. Therefore, I'm sorry, thereafter, staggering semi-paralytically down the night street, he would often ask passing policemen if they knew the way to Beetlejuice. The policeman would usually say something like, don't you think it's about time to you went off home, sir? Hmm. I'm trying to, baby. I'm trying to. 
<laughs> is what Ford would invariably reply on these occasions. I'm trying to, baby. <laughs> I'm trying to. Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> Zed's dead. <laughs> That's pretty uh, badass. Uh, in, fa- <clears throat> in fact, what he was really looking for when he started distracted, stared distractedly into the sky was any kind of flying saucer at all. The reason he said green was that green was the traditional space livery of Beetlejuice trading scouts. Ford Prefect was desperate that any flying saucer at all would arrive soon, because 15 years was a long time to get stranded anywhere, particularly somewhere as mind-bogglingly dull as Earth. Ford wished that a flying saucer would arrive soon because he, because he knew how to, fl- how to flag a flying saucer down and get lifts from them. He knew how to see the mar- marvels of the universe for less than 30 Alterian dollars a day. In fact, Ford Prefect was roving was a roving researcher for the wholly remarkable book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Literary Literary. It's a bypass. You got to build bypasses.